0: Robert Sullivan of the Los Angeles Free Press says this movie lacks the documentary realism of a film like The Candidate, but in its way, the political insights it has to offer are equally as profound. Vincent Canby of the New York Times says the film is much more interested in contemplating incompetence than in presenting any ideas about politics, race relations, international diplomacy, personal ambition, courage, or what have you. And letterboxed user Joe Campbell teased us up perfectly by saying I would love to see a remake of this today, as I think now, more than ever, we need something like this. On this episode of Ruined Childhoods, we decide the fate of the man.
1: Re reboot. Which one will it be? It's ruined childhood
2: podcast.
3: Greetings, Starfighters. Hello, everybody. It's ruined childhoods time. Welcome to our
0: podcast,
3: Dan. There yes, weren't very <laughs> many
0: reviews to pull from for the intro.
3: No, well, this uh, our movie uh, for today. The man is, uh, you know, as as we'll discuss, it wasn't even originally intended for a theatrical release. No, so. I, which which leads me to believe that
0: there weren't a lot of pre pre screenings for the press. It seemed like that was kind of a last minute decision to uh, get it out there. But anyway, there were a few, and that's when I was like. Well, better just go on the internet and see what people say. But uh yeah,
3: Rotten yeah. Tomatoes there was only one review. So, well, and, and and yeah, I guess I mean, I don't know how much was known about this movie at the time. Like I don't know if when it came out all the critics knew that oh yes well this was made for tv and then it was pushed into a theatrical release i feel like that because i'm listening to some uh, i'm you know hearing the the reviews that uh that you pulled for the intro and 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 it's kind of like i don't know if that was what this movie was supposed to be um yeah you know anyway we'll we'll get to
0: that we'll get to that in a little bit dan how you doing I'm doing okay, John. How are you doing? I'm doing just fine here and so we are recording this on uh February 10th and of 2021 and uh I'm here in Portland, Oregon, and we're supposed to maybe be getting some snow starting tomorrow night, which we haven't really had. We had like some flurries this year, but nothing did anything, so yeah. we're lined up for a few days of potential snow. I'm wondering if it's like that for you up in
3: Seattle, Dan. It is up here in Seattle. We are expecting snow uh, starting in, in two days on, on oh, the 12th, okay. so... We'll this see is what a, a very
0: different uh, winter for potential snow days it doesn't mean what it used to mean
3: yeah I don't my uh, my the high school students that I teach one of them asked the other day like what do we do in the event of a snow day and I was like what like this goat like yeah. open, you know, get turn up when the your alarm goes bit. off, when your alarm goes off one minute before class, uh, yeah. <laughs> um, turn on your like turn on your computer because the district, uh, you know, Seattle public schools are for those, you know, not not in the Seattle area. It is uh, Seattle is 100 percent virtual learning. And we have been since last March. <laughs>
0: So. Yeah, uh, uh, much like oh my god, I'm blanking on his name, but much like the the guy from Trekkies, you're on the internet.
3: Oh yeah, Gabriel, right? I, no, Gabriel's his friend. No.
0: Oh, Gabriel, Gabriel, this is the worst time you could be calling.
3: Oh yes, was it Peter? <laughs> Peter
0: was that his name? It might be. He was also on uh, the show Beat the Geeks. Yes, he was the Star Trek geek. Um, anyway, no, I wasn't that the guy's friend. Doing well.
3: I I feel like the friend was was Peter and and he was Gabriel. Oh, was he um,
0: Gabriel? Maybe he was Gabriel and the friend was Peter.
4: Another interesting thing that Oh
0: for oh, God's oh. sakes, I'll get that. I'll You're get the that. one that told me to Hello? Okay. Peter, this is the worst time you could have called. Go away. Okay, bye. <laughs> okay, here we
3: go. Yes. No, yes. He's yeah, Gabriel uh uh corner or kerner. Uh, who is a um, oh and he's become a um, visual effects artist
0: oh which makes sense because in the in the movie Trekkies he's showing his computer generated model of a uh, of a ship so which considering.
3: Which, considering when that footage was filmed for Trekkies, impressive. It was, you know, quite impressive. And yeah, you know, he's been nominated for uh for for an Emmy. So hey, that's great. Yeah, no, nah, he. So went, you're right, like, it was
0: Gabriel. So so ooh, that's that's going to come back later. We'll talk about Peter. That later. This is
3: the worst time you could have called <laughs> me. Yes, and it, and as it turns out, he probably made the right decision by not taking the phone call.
0: Yeah. Yeah. For sure yeah. hope you hope he built that shelf that he wanted to build
3: he did have some minor quibbles with that that uniform design right that, that woman like hand <laughs> if, if anybody the hasn't convention.
0: seen the documentary
3: trekkies ah. you have to
0: oh it's maybe it's wonderful one of the best just like you know uh, it's not about a, a super serious subject you're not going to find yourself uh making any giant life changes because of it. Uh, but if you're just looking for something about interesting people who are fans of star Trek, then Trekkies is your movie. It's a delight.
3: I mean, really, if you think about like big fandoms, you know, as we know them now, it, it kind of started with, I feel like star Trek kind of was the first to really have that, that global really devoted fan base
0: yeah absolutely i mean i'm wondering if the fan base well clearly the the show in the 60s was a, a huge success and then uh i i'm i'd have to go back and watch trekkies to see if it goes into it but to see when like it really exploded exploded um if if it wasn't yeah. until after the the movies started coming out, or no, no, no,
3: it was it was yeah. between, and I I don't know, I haven't seen Trekkies in a, in a while, but I guess I've watched it enough that I remember. It was after, so I think Star Trek ran for four seasons, and it was when it started yeah, about right in syndication, like late sixties, maybe early seventies. Uh huh. I think that was when it kind of all started up, which is why then by the end of the 70s, you have Star Trek, the motion picture coming out in uh, 79. So shortly
0: after uh, another major fandom science fiction movie, uh, Star Wars came out featuring the voice talents of James Earl Jones, the (sighs) star of the man. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, before we and get into it, just to be clear, we're just to be clear though, we're not covering the movie "The Man," starring Samuel L. Jackson and Eugene Levy. Yes, is that right? Mm-hmm.
3: Yes, Eugene uh, Levy.
0: Although I, I'd, I'd love to give that another look, um, but no, this is the 1972 movie "The Man," directed by Joseph Sargent, uh, most known for taking of Pelham 123, but for us, it's probably Jaws: The Revenge.
3: Yeah. That and the taking of Pelham one, two, three, a movie that I watched. Not I I rewatched that not too long ago. The original. I hear it's great. I haven't seen it. Oh yeah, definitely. Well, like whenever you have the time, it is a great, as you know, I've been on this like seventies, late sixties and seventies movie kick Sure. Yeah, I think that was that was towards the early part of that uh, phase. Phase. I was going to say stage, and then anyway. So um, but yeah, the Fage yogurt. Um,
0: Before we get super to this, did you have anything else that you wanted to add about uh, Air Force One?
3: No, I mean, other than get off my plane, I don't know. Uh, (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) no,
0: I think we said everything there was to say about, about Air Force One. Um, Yeah, cool. So uh, the man was written by Rod Serling, adapted from an uh, Irving Wallace novel that uh, apparently was incredibly long and difficult to read, but Rod Serling managed to boil it down into a nice hour
3: and a half. Almost made
0: for TV movie, but then actually had a theatrical release.
3: Yeah, 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 and um, I guess if I can, I'm going to do a little self-promotion, but yeah, uh, do it. speaking speaking of Rod Serling, so for those unfamiliar with the podcast or with what I do, I do teach language arts at a uh, high school in the Seattle area, well, at West Seattle High School. I'm going to t- be telling you that in sure. just a moment yeah. because I also direct their fall theater productions uh, for the past few years, and if you've listened to, if you want to hear... In depth about it, you can listen to our episode on "A Few Good Men." Back oh yeah, in, back in the archives. That was uh, the last.
0: That was the last play that you did there.
3: Yeah, that was the uh, yeah back when when we could have when we have live theater. Right. So, uh, in face facing our current uh, circumstances, we decided to take Twilight Zone episodes and adapt them for the the virtual stage. Yeah, I, which is really cool. I am ex- like, I'm, I'm really excited to hear it. It's like a weird radio play and um it, it's available if you go to Westsidedrama.com. That is westsidedrama.com. dot com. You by the time this is out, you should be able to Is that access... dot C-A-L-M? <laughs> D- C A L M D s dot com. Sorry. Com? With, uh, com? Yeah. Dot com. Uh-huh. Com. <laughs> You're trying to get me to okay. Uh, sorry, I was in a I was in a meeting this afternoon, and there were so many entendres going on, and oh, no. I was like trying so hard not to laugh. was like, hey, you said come," and it was oh, like, "Oh boy!" There was context to the conversation, so, but yeah. yeah. So, so
0: this uh, this Twilight <laughs> Zone sorry. radio play that you've got going on, I mean, it it'll have already debuted by the time that we are releasing
3: this episode but it's gonna stay up there right
0: or what's the story
3: for perpetuity this is the uh, the the joys of virtual theater and what's cool is because we're working in this kind of undiscovered genre we are not undiscovered unexplored genre we kind of we were not really bound by anything like it's the official title of the show is the twilight zone radio dramas and we have like some foley we have a couple of foley artists who you'll you'll see in their little microsoft teams squares because Mm -hmm. our district doesn't have zoom though i feel like zoom is like kleenex now you say zoom and it's just the catch-all so you've got the, you've, got, you've got the Foley artists, but then we also added in some some sound effects and some visual backgrounds and some music. And we created ads for some local West Seattle businesses, especially businesses yeah. that, you know, could probably use a little, little boost, um, you know, at this time. And... So we've got ads in there that are kind of like, they're kind of 1950s style. Uh Uh, It's going to be in black and white. And it it, it actually, you said that you can't wait to hear it and that. And and see it. Yeah. Well, no, no, no. But it really is like, what's really cool is like, I'm, you know, as I'm watching it and I'm I'm watching all the edits, we have students, the students have been editing it. Students wrote the ads. Like it's Mm -hmm. a really, we're really working to teach and empower these kids. So they, um, so I'm, I'm, you know, as I'm watching it, like I'm, I'm watching it for things, but then I'm also at times closing my eyes and listening, and it really does have that feel of of a radio show with some obviously piped in uh-huh. music. Uh, I had a former student rec- uh, who plays the harp uh, record uh, some harp solos. That's so cool. To use. Yeah, it was just kind of like it was the fun type of thing where we kept kind of reminding ourselves like, hey, we really don't need to like stick with any like our only boundaries are the ones that either we set for ourselves or that like our boundaries of doing this remotely. So, right. you know, it was a lot of fun. I went I got to I, I did a lot of like drop offs, like dropping off. Um, We we got mics, like ordered mics. Uh, Mics, so they would all be using the same mics right and uh some pop screens so really cool really fun check it out that's drama.com twilight C-O-M. zone Radio Dramas. got it c-o-m yeah. got it yeah no i'm very excited
0: uh yeah so rod sterling uh, who is most known for twilight zone that is not a controversial statement i it was the was the writer of this, adapted this uh, screenplay. And it's really fascinating. And I saw, I don't have any clips of it or anything, but I watched a, an interview with Rod Serling, not about the man, but just about... Um, actually, it was a lot about race. And, you know, he was very forward-thinking, was definitely somebody who was a strong advocate for civil rights. And it seemed like it was pretty early that he had developed these, you know, uh, passions for, you know, progressive
3: movement oh. in, the, in the civil rights arena. Yeah, I so, mean, it's all over. It's all like throughout uh, the Twilight Zone. Absolutely. I mean, not just, Yeah, you, know, you know, civil rights and, you know, d- during the... Uh, you know, in the shadow of the communist witch hunts, McCarthyism, and it, you know, uh, echoes, of course, a lot of what is going on today, especially uh, one of the episodes we did for the show, Monsters Are Due on Maple Street, which is one of Mm. my all-time favorite episodes of The Twilight Zone. Cool. Yeah. So, but yeah, no, Rod Serling, uh, very much like Gene Roddenberry, creator of Star Trek, was very innovative in his use of of television and i guess then cinema to um and using actually the man is kind of like just the the most you know i guess forward that philosophy is in his writing it's usually you see it in uh more of like parables things like the monsters are do on maple street where uh-huh
0: yeah no this is very overt this is extremely clear about what exactly he's trying to say there's no n- you know no metaphor in uh the depiction of um you know the story and i guess i should get into the synopsis well, yeah 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 go right ahead After the U.S. President and the Speaker of the House are killed in an accidental building collapse, the position of Commander Chief is suddenly in question, especially given the failing health of the Vice President. The chain of command indicates that the position then goes to the President Potempore of the the U.S. Senate, Douglas Dillman. This news is especially troublesome for ultra-right-wing Senator Watson, given that President Dillman is now the first black man to fill the position of president. This news is also concerning for the wife of the Secretary of State, Kay Eaton, who believes her husband should have fought for the position that should be his. At first, Dillman is very passive and in way over his head, essentially regurgitating the talking points provided to him by the Secretary of State, But once he is pushed to speak for himself, President Dillman has proven to be a passionate president with new perspectives, especially when it comes to the first big dilemma of his presidency. An American black man named Robert Wheeler is alleged to have attempted the murder of the South African defense minister. Though Dillman goes on record many times defending Wheeler, indicating that he was in Burundi at the time, a new piece of evidence emerges that shows Wheeler's assassination attempt. Dillman is now faced with eating crow for the good of the truth. Meanwhile, Senator Watson is concerned that Dillman is beginning to get comfortable in his role as president and maybe decide to actually run for the position in the next election. So, uh, Dan, um, yeah, like we've said, James Earl Jones plays President Dillman. Um, we have Martin Balsam in there. Burgess Meredith is Senator Watson. And oh, man, he's so good. Um, oh, he reminds me Rush of- is Kay oh. Eaton. Uh, she's fantastic. Janet McLaughlin is uh, Dillman's daughter, Wanda. And she's great. And she's like a, you know, she's an activist. And he has to kind of tell at the beginning to like tone it down for a bit because things are a little different now.
3: Yeah, well, she – and she actually is the one – this isn't one of those, like, where, okay, you're going to have to stop that no- – she's actually the right. one who says, I guess I'm going to have to kind of dial it back. Yeah, yeah.
0: It's it's so and,
3: interesting. And the so
0: when the, – the, the movie begins at uh, – I want to say it's the correspondence dinner. That's what it seems yeah. like. Yeah. Yeah. There's this guy who's cracking wise and totally killing – And, uh,
3: there's a bit of
0: a, what's up?
3: Sorry, that, that, uh, guy is, oh my God, I can't believe I'm, uh, blanking on his name. Like he's, he gets a a credit.
0: Um, Oh yeah.
3: Well, he's great. Famous comedian. Why am I, I'm, I, I'll be back with that name in a moment.
0: (laughs) Oh, okay. Um, yeah. So, uh, during all of that, there's like this kind of like weird little kerfuffle going on and they just find out in a very kind of anticlimactic way that the president has died. And I'm just going to play a quick clip from the uh, the confirmation phone call.
1: George, we have to have your official confirmation. You got it. The president, the speaker of the house and 50 other people.
3: Can you hear me, Arthur?
1: Yes, George,
3: you're coming through. It was the Altamineser Palace here in Frankfurt. The building is 500 years old and
0: just collapsed. What do, you, what do you say? What do you even do when you find out that something like that just happens? I mean, there's nothing you can do to really prevent it. There's no person who can, be, you know, have a finger pointed at them. It's just super unfortunate.
3: Nobody blames Antifa.
0: Yeah, yeah, they were in Burundi. They're nowhere to be found. Is Burundi oh, one of the places where the where uh, VP Nance was sent to? And Dave, why does that seem? Oh, sound like was that it? was one
3: of the, it. Might, Maybe it
0: might have been.
3: So, by the um, way, that's Jack Benny. Jack, Jack Benny. Benny. Right. Uh, yeah, who's uh, you know telling telling jokes up there? And so I I just want to note. So part of the reason why uh, Kate. Eaton, uh, yeah, Lady McBee in this, uh, yeah, <laughs> and she, oh, yeah, so much. She, like, I think is really disappointing because up until 1947, the Secretary right. of State was fourth in line. Right. In the line of right. succession. So it's usually, it's president, vice president, speaker of the house. Yeah. And, and why don't I just go ahead and play the clip where they're talking about play that? Play the clip.
0: I'm not go the for man, it. Senator.
1: That's right. You're the next in line, huh? Oh, I'm the secretary of state, yes, but I'm not the successor. President, vice president, secretary of state, not That's not the case anymore. Is it, Edward? Succession Act of 1947 states that the order of succession is President, Vice President, Speaker of the House, President pro tempore of the Senate Who? The President pro tempore of the Senate That's it
3: That's Douglas Tillman Yeah, Burgess Meredith is so good He reminds me so much of Strom Thurmond Do you remember Strom Thurmond? Oh, yeah
0: yeah, yeah, like like a, a old
3: racist Southern. Yep. Yeah, old and of course, like after he died, you found out that that he had children that he had like illegitimate children mm. that were mixed race. And um, oh wow. which I mean, yeah, just but like, yeah, no Strom Thurmond, What Strom Thurman? Yeah. He was he was terrible. And that but Burgess Meredith does a fantastic job. And he he he, he's actually not like I I feel like he's not quite as he's as insidious as Strom Thurmond, but he's he keeps it civil and he's he's like he's kind of a he's a snake and there's always there's that undertone and he's just like he's like look you know what i really think and i know you know what i really think and right. i want you to know that but i'm not going to come right out and say it. unless unless he's with the uh uh south africa the ambassador from south africa
0: right yeah that's yeah. a very
3: interesting moment but
0: yeah there's there's oh. a lot going on just right at the beginning of the movie which i feel like is where this movie is kind of at its strongest. There's, you know, the beginning, it's very strong. Uh, I feel like there's the dinner party scene. That's very strong. Uh The very
3: end, I was kind of like trailing off a little bit. Oh, yeah. Well, okay. So, and I I totally understand. And I read this quote from James Earl Jones before uh, watching the movie, and it totally makes sense. But he had said in an interview that... had they known this was going to go to theaters yeah it would have been uh like james earl jones or like the production would have asked for more time more production um sure it was
0: shot on video in a time when you know move like theatrical movies were not shot on video
3: no we're talking about the early 1970s video was barely video Yeah. yeah And it, so, it, and it, it plays like that. It plays like, I don't know, like an episode of The West Wing. Like. It, sure. It, it yeah. Cut, I, like, I
0: there there I, was a scene where I was even thinking like, this is feeling a little Sorkin-y to
3: me. Well, it's like it, the scene when he's, <clears throat> I, I mean, it's kind of like when he, when he's talking to Wheeler in the Oval Office. So at first, so Wheeler tells him that yeah, he's. So this is, so yeah. just real quick. Uh, so Wheeler
0: knows this. I guess, Reverend, who knows the president. So Wheeler, who's the, you know, alleged attempted assassin, uh, is just like visiting the White House, you know, pretty regularly. So it seemed a little, I don't know, didn't seem like something that would normally happen.
3: Well, it was, it was the first, at the first point, because no one knew where he was. Right. And yeah. then, this reverend shows up with him and 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 yeah he had he had asylum with the reverend and the reverend brings him in but there's no like you know oh how did you get in here he's not like you know
0: oh no 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 no. disguise
3: or anything but and yeah and it's it it sets up a really interesting quandary that he at first tells Um, uh, James Earl Jones uh, Dillman that that he's innocent and that he was in Burundi and that he was at the he even was at the embassy that day yeah and then as you know, as you said, it's it's disproven. And I almost feel like I remember President Bartlett being in <laughs> some type of similar situation where it's like there's the like there's the what I want to do, there's what I know is the right thing of to course. do, and yeah. then there's like the Knowing the consequences of the right thing to do, which sending a, a black American man who at, at this point, the, the defense minister has died from his wounds. Right. That's and right. Yeah. So, so he's an assassin and they're sending him back to where he is not going to get a fair trial.
0: Right. And I'm just going to play one clip from. uh So. The president is doing his first ever press conference, and he is uh, given this whole sheet of like answers, this whole like folder of answers, really, from uh, Eaton. And everybody can kind of tell, especially this uh, this one reporter can can tell who's a black reporter. He's like, you know, stop reading off your thing. I can tell, and uh, he really starts. Cutting loose and like speaking from the heart and, you know, telling the way he feels about things rather than being just like kind of an interim president and just kind of like sitting by and, you know, just being the figure, the the voice for everybody else that's making all these decisions. And uh, yeah, I just wanted to play uh, this part from that press conference.
1: President, that this American, whoever he is, if tried in South Africa... He could expect something less than a fair trial.
0: Something
2: considerably less, yes, Mr. Pierce. I think he'd be prejudged and officially lynched. Now, uh, Mr. Webson, since you broached it originally, <laughs> let me admit to you that in the short time allotted to me as president, I may never learn the subtleties of foreign relations. But uh, like you, several hundred years of history have made me an expert on lynching. Thank you, Mr. President. Say it all.
0: So the the end part there where the audio changes a little bit, that's his daughter, Wanda, listening to it in the car. And, you know, you can just see the smile on her face and she's just proud of her father for speaking his mind, for not being a stooge, and for actually saying the things that he should be saying. You know, somebody who has this ancestry that has this experience and they know what it's like they know that there's not going to be a fair trial um i mean no matter where he is but especially in you know south africa De-
3: definitely not in south africa in the nineteen the, in seventies. The yeah 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 uh i mean yeah they they want to like you know charge him here and give him like i guess a trial in dc yeah On, like, federal crimes.
0: Right. So, they essentially what happens is Wheeler's attorney wants them to be charged in the U.S. for, like, passport fraud. I don't know exactly the phrasing for it, but essentially for using a falsified passport to travel.
3: Yeah. It's a and this is after uh Wheeler basically confesses uh to to Dillman
0: right there are so many uh, there's so much to talk about with this movie and i know that we're jumping around a lot um
3: should we can uh, should we continue on this 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 the Wheeler storyline a little bit yeah, we can we can do that. I did want to say, I don't know. I remember we we were we were talking about or you know, had an exchange about the the Richard Pryor sketch.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So uh, in 1977, Richard Pryor did a sketch where he was the first black president. Um, and I'll just play a quick little clip from that. Yeah.
2: Mr. President, Mr. President. Yes. Uh, Arthur Williams, Chicago Sun-Herald, you've just okayed a two hundred and fifty million dollar increase in our space program. What I like to know is the main reason you did this, so we can finally recruit black people for the space program. I feel it's time that black people went to space. Uh, <laughs> white people have been going to space for years, um. and spacing out on us, as you might say. <laughs> and I feel with uh, the projects that we have in mind, we're going to send explorer ships through other galaxies and. No longer will they have the same type of music, Beethoven, Brahms, and Tchaikovsky. And now we have little Miles Davis and Charlie Parker. We're going to have some different kind of things in there.
0: I mean, so good. The the humor of uh, the 70s, I feel, is so tame compared to now. It's
3: tame, yet it's also, I feel like, much more... I don't want to say, not confrontational, but but blunt. Uh, oh, yeah. There's not as much, and, and this is not to say that, like, political correctness and being, you know, culturally sensitive and aware is not a good thing. Right. But I think, you know, I mean, and that might partially be why a lot of the humor today is so outrageous, because that's kind of how... Comics can stand out because, right. you know, a yeah. Richard Pryor could Richard well, Pryor have done what he did. Could George Carlin, you know, come yeah. up today and be and become like the legend, John uh, George Carlin.
0: Oh, man. I mean, just thinking about well, thinking about like Richard Pryor's stand up compared to like this type of sketch. Very different. And, you know, thinking about people like Richard Pryor and uh, George Carlin, of course, and like Lenny Bruce and people like that. You know, it is hard to say how they would fare today, but they're the ones that created the pathway for the comics of today. So it's like, well, you know, what what would it have been had it not been for them?
3: Well, and that's the other thing is it's also this was all on network TV. There was no cable. Yeah. It wasn't like they were going to get an HBO. Sh- no, you know, no Netflix specials. Yeah, but also it's like you're on network television, prime time. I mean, Prior had hosted Saturday Night Live, which I know is not yeah. prime time, but is a big. It's not
0: ready for prime time.
3: It's Damn. not ready for prime, still. Um, <laughs> but so Prior had hosted that, and like really like pushed the envelope with humor, but yet like network television had, I mean, this movie was going to air on network television. Yeah. And it, it, and it's funny because you hear, you know, there's, there's some end bombs in there and right. And well, but what I was going to say is, you know, you you hear them, and I feel like, and today, it's very, you're not going to have that on network TV unless there's a very specific, like, it's not going to be in passing. And it's not going uh, to be, it's almost going to be, it's going to be more like the, the focus of the, like, whatever show or wherever you're hearing it. And it i don't know there was something about this movie that made me feel like it was a mu- that that it was a, perhaps a more honest portrayal of politics than a lot of what we see in in fiction in things like the west wing
0: yeah uh one quick thing i wanted to mention uh so i used to live in los angeles and living in la i don't know if this is, it happens to everybody but i certainly met my fair share of former child actors and one of them I when I met him, I uh, his one kind of claim to fame that he kind of mentioned at like the top of his top of his acting game was uh that he said the N-word on Seventh Heaven. And uh I was like, Okay, I'm gonna go over there now.
3: <laughs> and the episode was probably focused on on his character and like he oh, got Oh, I'm a- sure. Good for yeah. him. Yeah. Uh so uh, what I wanted
0: to come back to is that, yes, and, and one of the things that kind of like comes and goes in this movie very quickly is that uh, Senator Watson wants to try to pass a bill kind of behind Dillman's back a little bit. And mm-hmm. Dillman meets with the uh, the the black members of Congress, I believe, who are concerned about this. Uh, he kind of leaves a cabinet meeting early to... to speak with them and this is what they say it is
1: senator watson's bill proposes that the president be prohibited from firing any cabinet member without the express approval of congress which is another way of making damn certain that you don't step out of line or out of place naturally we assumed that that the bill had been brought to your table also assume you will publicly call it what it is an affront
0: yeah I, i think it's a Awesome scene, and it just goes to show you, like you said, he's a snake, and I, I'm sure that stuff like this happens
3: all the time. Well, they did. I I mean, I'm, I don't think they tried to do that exactly, but I think like when Obama was president, Mm -hmm. they, Mitch McConnell tried. They did so much, like I mean, anything they could do, they kept him from putting a justice on the Supreme Court. Yeah. Oh yeah. For and then you know, a few years later, put a justice right. on the Supreme Rev- Court under this, yeah, yeah, and even, so, yeah, it, exactly. It, it's so, I, I, that's why that's part of the reason why I felt like, you know, especially his the portrayal of of Watson, um, and also of the, the Eatons, and I probably more so Kay Eaton, uh. Mm-hmm. It's, it felt very, very genuine and it will not, maybe not genuine, but it felt, it it felt, it felt like, oh man, yeah, this probably happens more than we would like to, to think.
0: Yeah. Although nowadays we would certainly hear about it by certain members of Congress who are not afraid to go on Instagram live and tell people exactly how things are.
3: Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. That was, Uh, I get we gotta, I mean, man, you gotta shout out AOC for, for, for doing that because, oh my God. Yeah. Anyway, I'm, we're not gonna go off on, we're not gonna go off on that
0: one. But, uh, while you were talking about, um, Kay Eaton, uh, played by Barbara Rush, I, I mean, such an amazing character. And it's just like, you know, that there's just like hordes of these people. And, uh, I love, her interaction with Wanda at that dinner party uh. scene. And I wanted to play that. This is uh, two. I, I mean, Janet McLaughlin, I don't even know what else she's been in. Um, I know Barbara Rush has been in a ton of stuff, but uh, Janet McLaughlin, who plays Wanda, just so incredible. And uh, yeah, let's just hear a little bit of that scene.
4: There's been a suggestion made that my father seek the nomination. Mm-hmm. Indeed. Uh... I wouldn't pay too much attention to Washington Rumors, my dear. This town is the national headquarters not only for government, but also for gossip, which I disseminate too frequently. My husband tells. Me. <laughs> yes.
1: Now, since this is the first social dinner in some time, I suggest that we forget all about politics.
4: Really, I think uh, I think you should count your blessings, Miss Tolman. Oh, would you like to list them for me?
2: Uh, Arthur, what's the new Chinese ambassador like? I'm told he's an extremely young man. Well, the inscrutable East. Who first first, And
4: foremost, speaking of blessings, is the fortunate fact that your father is really more (coughs) an interim caretaker than president. I think that should be a cause for Thanksgiving. (laughs) Uh, I'd like
2: very much to propose a toast now to the President of the United States, to his good health. Here, here. And to the Secretary of State, Arthur Evenmore.
4: Perhaps the next President of the United
1: States.
4: (laughs) You don't like the toast, Miss Tillman, or you don't like the brandy? Neither one. Well, speak your mind, child. I usually do. Of course, my husband tells me I make too many judgments. (laughs) That comes from having a father who was a senator. And a grandfather who's on the Supreme Court.
2: Oh, I remember your father, Kay. I think it was 37 or 38. I remember he cornered Sam Rayburn. Oh,
4: Charlie, <laughs> Charlie. Let's not turn this into a <laughs> class reunion. Let's hear what Miss Dillman has to say about things. Like what things, Mrs. Eden? Genealogy? Well, my father was a schoolteacher. And his father sold catfish in Baltimore.
1: <laughs>
4: How interesting, isn't it? And I'm sure if we ever figure out a family coat of arms, it would be a crossed pick and shovel over a cotton gin. Oh! Oh, no. Dumb. And don't be angry. <laughs> then stop shaking your family tree at me, Mrs. Eaton. That's about as relevant as what Calvin Coolidge had for breakfast. <coughs> I
0: love it. And, and it, that's about- a long clip. I'm sorry, but it's just so good.
3: No, and it's also, it's like it's not inaccurate you have these political dynasties and these right and and you have like a, a lot of that that clash going on right. in in Washington and oh the when she calls him a caretaker oh
0: yeah and, and it it's great cuz like everybody else is just trying to kind of change the topic of conversation and it just keeps on getting pulled <laughs> back into it Oh my
3: God! Well, and, and oh. Dilman is like grinning. He's trying to hide his grin. Well, you're right because he knows that his daughter doesn't take yeah. any bullshit from anybody. So and <laughs> speaking, and, and so coming back to Janet Janet McLaughlin, um, yeah. she had a pretty uh, long career. She, uh, you know, since passed um, in in 2010, oh, yeah. poor went out for Janet McLaughlin, and uh, in fact, her. It looks like her filmography begins uh, with a role on Star Trek. Oh no way! <laughs> At way and uh, she appeared other other titles that you'd write. She was on The Marriage. She did a lot of TV. She was mm-hmm. in uh, Sounder. Okay, uh, She played Camille Johnson in Sounder. She was in. Um, she was in the film. Uh, Tightrope 1984 uh, Clint Eastwood movie. Uh, She was in Murphy's Law, which was a 1986 movie. The Boy Who Could Fly. Oh, The Boy Who Could Fly. Wonderful 80s family classic. Uh, Big Shots, 1987's Big Shots. Big
0: Shots.
3: uh, For for Keeps with Molly Ringwald and uh, Heart and Souls, the uh, Robert Robert Downey Jr., Charles Grodin Alfre Woodard, et cetera, et cetera, <laughs> um, romantic comedy. And her well, last credit, 13th Floor.
0: Okay. Well, she was fantastic. And, uh, yes. I mean, it's it's also worth talking a little bit about James Earl Jones because this is, I mean, he got started, uh, I mean, was it 1960, I think maybe Oh what was well, was Dr was he in Doctor Strangelove? He was in Doctor Strangelove. That was yeah, 90, no, 64. 64. and then uh you know he was just kind of doing uh he's in a bunch of stuff uh Great White Hope. You know, did quite a few things before uh appearing in The Man and then of course was in quite a f- quite a few more things up until 77 when uh Star Wars came out and uh, <laughs> As we all know, this guy works. This yeah. is uh and up until present up, day
3: well, coming, coming to America to America. Yeah. where he Absolutely. will he'll, I mean and like he's been able to, you know, continue to lend his voice to, to be Darth Vader yeah. and uh you know the uh, also reprised his role in The Lion King, right? As right. Uh, mm-hmm. as Mufasa. Mufasa. So I mean, James Earl Jones is just yeah. A tra- he was in uh, he's in the the Jack Ryan movies. Speaking of uh, just with Harrison Ford, <laughs> yeah. No, I, I
0: mean he just blew up uh, field completely. of dreams. But, he, oh, but I yeah. mean, start when your first movie is Doctor Strangelove. I think that you know that things are going to be pretty okay.
3: You know, in in this business, in the business of in show the business of show. <laughs> you never, you never know when your next job is what your next job is, is going to be. So,
0: yeah.
3: So, um,
0: just kind of coming back to the man, uh, Mm -hmm. I, I just wanted to play one more clip. I think at least one more, uh, just going back to Burgess Meredith, who we've talked about on this show a lot in the, the grumpy old men, uh, episode. And, um, it's, so for me, you know, obviously he was in the Batman movie. You know, he was the Penguin. He was the Penguin, uh, yeah. And, and then several years later after the man, he was in Rocky. So this is still, I mean, he's an an older guy, but he's kind of like young Burgess Meredith in the, you know, in the sense of my familiarity
3: well, come- with his work. Compared to grumpy old men, yeah. Compared which to is, grumpy old which men, 20, right? But, 21 years later, after, yeah. You know. But it's just funny seeing
0: him with just like, you know, a full head of, I, I mean, I don't know if that was a wig or anything. Maybe not. But, uh, no, I mean, yeah, it's just, uh, and then of course you see so much of the penguin in him when he's chomping on those cigars <laughs> uh, in his little like yellow waistcoat and everything. And he's scheming, uh, and he's scheming, and he's scheming, yes. and he's scheming <laughs> <laughs> with the, um, the ambassador for south africa so in this scene they have just gotten new film of the um of wheeler actually tossing a grenade i think into the car where the yeah. yeah so it's very very damning evidence so he's showing it first to watson so i'll just play a little bit of that has
1: this uh, film been shown to our Justice Department? Well, we only received it earlier this morning, Senator. should have been sent there and it should have been brought to the attention of our Department of State and... Uh, ...and the President. The President? Mr. Dillman? <laughs> that would be a fruitless exercise, Senator. My government will request the extradition of this man. He happens to be black. And Mr. Dillman, uh, for your information, is also black. You noticed that, did you? Why did you, uh, show this film to me? Well, you're a man of considerable influence in American politics, Senator. Your views on segregation are not unlike our own. Of course, in my country, we'd never have a black man as the executive of government. Well, 25 years ago, I could have said the same thing about the United States of America. It's proving very little, except that... Good ideas are not immortal. They die just like men. No, no, no. The separation of the races is an idea that's going to die very hard. Oh, it's already died. You know how I know? I know because I'm going to walk out of here and strike a very damaging blow on behalf of white supremacy. Now there was a time that I could have done that with a very great sense of accomplishments. But now I do it with kind of sick reluctance, holding my nose as I do.
0: So interesting. What an what a fascinating character he is. And it Yeah I mean the way that Burgess Meredith plays it is beautiful.
3: Really, uh Really is I'd be I'd be so interested to know kind of you know where what what he based his if he based his performance on he could have based it on Strom Thurman could have uh, yeah that dude's so, a long time yeah seriously uh he's so he's so slimy and it, it it's a great movie because I think or I'm uh, sorry it's not I wouldn't say it's a great movie but. It's an interesting movie. Like, I was, yeah. I enjoyed watching it because I honestly didn't know how it was going. I didn't, I didn't know how it was going to go at the end. Right. When, when Dillman is faced with the possibility, does he surrender someone, you know, to, yeah, to the fate that he knows he's going to receive at the hands of white supremacy.
0: Right. Yeah. And, yeah. And, And and I'm going to play the clip from uh, when Wheeler is in the Oval Office with Dillman at the very end. And uh, just after this, Dillman does make an official statement about his plans to, um, you know, send him back to South Africa. And... uh, You'll you'll hear that there are uh, a couple of, of bleeps in here. That's because uh, he does. Uh, James Earl Jones does say the n word a couple times, and we just didn't feel comfortable keeping that in. But yeah. uh, I'm sure you can use your imaginations.
3: It, yeah, it's not the point of it. Yeah. Do I have a choice, Mister Wheeler? I believed
2: you were innocent. I should know fewer than three statements to that effect. I stood before a press conference and played Zola to your make-believe Dreyfus. And here we are today, young Mr. Wheeler, the liar and the dupe. And if I told you the truth, what kind of help could I have expected? you keep quiet? Well, that, Mr. Wheeler, is expedient desperation, but it's a long country mile away from a defense. Mr. President, what I came here this morning to discuss was some possible precedents. Forget it, Rob. Some recommendations for Clements. Forget within. it. He's no different from that freaked-out Charlie Blue-Eyes, Senator Watson. Call it! at least th- I read but this house... Shut up, I I killed a butcher, a lyncher! And I did it because he didn't deserve to live. He didn't deserve to live? And that is the epitaph that you personally carve on the stone? With my own two hands! And with pride! And with the same kind of passion you should have! With your own two hands, Mr. Wheeler, without a doubt, With pride, that would seem to be the case, but as for passion, Mr. Wheeler, even a house (laughs) understands all about passion. Black men don't burn crosses. They don't plant a bomb in a church and kill four children. They don't geld innocent little sharecroppers. They don't hunt down a Martin Luther King and shoot him with a telescopic sight. That is cool stuff, Mr. Wheeler. That is bloodless. That is a master plan that comes out of a convocation of lizards. Passion may drive you into the streets to throw bricks, or to fire a building, or to snipe from a roof. All that is ugly, Mr. Wheeler, but that is passion. But to buy a gun and travel 5,000 miles to seek out a victim, to falsify a passport, to plant an alibi and then to kill a human being and come back here and feel persecuted because a black man in a high place refuses to accept the politics of a corpse as a measure of your innocence. Don't you call that passion? Mr. Wheeler, you call that what it is. The arrogance, the ignorance, the kind of a selective morality you'd expect from Adolf Eichmann,
0: uh, James Earl Jones, both James Earl Jones and George Stanford <sighs> brand who plays Robert Wheeler are excellent yeah 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 and uh just real quick uh so george stanford brown uh he acted in a ton of stuff uh a a few movies here and there he did a lot a lot a lot of television he directed a lot of television did a few episodes of starsky and hutch charlie's angels fantasy island um he did uh episodes here and there of some other stuff he acted in and directed an episode of police squad uh did a bunch of episodes of Cagney and Lacey um was you know has been active up until pretty recently he's 77 now so i'm wondering if he's just retired but uh you know very long yeah. career uh both acting and directing
3: yeah and uh you know he he is as you say he's excellent in this role he plays it with a ton of conviction and you really yes. it's like you know he does something that i think a lot of people would want to do <laughs> and totally. you know especially when when you know in his position and he sees that that this is going on um, you know he sees how black people in south africa are are being treated and you know he's going to do something about it and uh it, it's interesting. It's also interesting as to like kind of how the movie is commenting on um like unrest and civil disobedience mm-hmm. in that in that era, which uh I feel like it kind of it like kind of thumbs its nose at at that, at civil disobedience, because it it does place the value on like the logic and Dillman, you know, they set it up. He was a former college professor and Dillman really. Elocutes the reasoning clearly. And he does it for, he does it for the press in a, uh, you know, in a, in a less, in a more restrained way. Sure. Right. But he makes the same points and, you know, like he really, when he's saying, you know, when he compares him to Adolf Eichmann oh yeah it's like you know there's no there's no taking that the wrong way there's only one way to mm-hmm. take that right and and i mean the
0: truth is yes i uh, you know south africa in the 70s uh you know along with many, many years before that and after and I, after. <laughs> it, you know, it was, a uh, it was terrible and doing what he did. I mean, is, is extreme. I'm sure that a lot of people want would want to do that, but it's like, if you're gonna do it, you gotta own it. You know, you, you can't just go hide away if you're going to do it, go for it. I mean, uh, just think about Nelson Mandela spent so many years in prison and, uh, Right. And became president of South Africa. Exactly. Like just became, you know, such a such a great figure because of his convictions. And it's like, Mm -hmm. you know, had had uh, Wheeler stayed there and just kind of, I don't know, could have just been executed. But at least he would have, you know, done it knowing that he did something for the for the good of the cause.
3: And he wouldn't have hidden. He would have said, yes, this is what I did. This is yeah. why I did it. And I accept the consequences.
0: But instead, he hid behind the first U.S. black president.
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. Yep. And then it, you know, it ends with Dillman's going to go speak in front of the convention. And that's where it, it leaves us. And that, that's where I was right. like... Made for TV.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, you know, watching it at first, I was because uh, it's just, it's available in full on YouTube for free. And the transfer of it is very poor. For the sound clips, I did some noise reduction so that there's not the hiss of a VCR or whatever. <laughs> uh, so it's, um you know, it, it can be challenging to watch just from a technical perspective. Um, But the performances in it really have a lot behind them. Uh, The writing—I mean, I wonder what got removed from it. Like, how much more does this book go into that Rod Serling left out? There's got to be so many. Like, I wonder how far it goes into his career in politics, or uh, I mean, guess he was always he was in politics, but like, you know, his career goes into maybe further into the presidency perhaps actually being elected
3: or maybe we maybe we go further back into his career as you know his career in politics how does he go from being a a professor to being you know a senator sure absolutely yeah Uh, i mean so dan what would you want to see what would i so what would i want to see well you know i was thinking about thinking about it and i think a loose remake because i was trying to think i was like who's someone that that like the the establishment would kind of just try to like put in a corner and say okay you do this and not kind of worry about them aspiring to more and who would really threaten The establishment. Now, I I, I was thinking, of course, like, you know, we mentioned AOC before. And yeah. But then I was like, if a Muslim woman, if a hijab wearing Muslim, if a hijab wearing Muslim woman Mm -hmm. were through these circumstances to become president, I was like, what would cause Because also, like, and also what we don't see in the man is really a whole lot of, like, we don't have a whole lot of, like, there was more of a, you know, racist response, at least that we saw to President Obama. Right. Like, there's no, you know, there's no birthers, of course, there's no Twitter, but... We don't, we don't see that like the Ku Klux Klan is rioting outside of the White House or storming the Capitol. Uh, Right. So, um, but I was thinking like, of course, this would, you'd have a a loose remake, but I think it's just got to be the idea of somebody who's not just, not just their ideas, but just their existence is is a, is seen as a threat by people and it i think that that would be kind of the equivalent to this uh, to really sure. kind of threaten that you know to to show your cuz who's your senator who's going to be your senator watson like lindsey Graham or you know rand <laughs> paul uh but you get but it's really like you know it, and it's not it's not like it's it's not far-fetched I hope it's not you know far-fetched well, I, feel right. like yeah, so, I feel like we're
0: yeah I feel like is
3: yeah yeah Go so ahead. I mean nowadays it's
0: you couldn't do something set in present day about a black person becoming president you know we've had a black president and uh, well <laughs> you know it, the, yeah. the shock of everything you know would be much less so now that you know we've experienced it for eight years and um, so you're right you know it would have to be you know, somebody else, it has to be something else that's going on. Um, and what you're talking, I mean, I mentioned this very briefly in the last episode, but you know, on the show designated survivor, it's the, you know, HUD secretary who ends up becoming president because of a terror, an act of terrorism on the Capitol during the like, um, state of the union state of the union address that's so why it's like he's the yeah because everybody only, else is, the is there survivor exactly yeah so um you know it didn't have to be keith for sutherland it could have been you know a a muslim woman who happened to be on the uh in the cabinet
3: yeah i and i just i feel like it would be interesting like i was trying to think of who would who could do that because you'd need it would need to be written and it would really need to be written adeptly
0: right and also it really needs to be something that is written and directed by a person of color a black oh, person yep. or a person of color yeah um i mean that's way less likely to happen in 1972 understandably mm-hmm. um you know certainly it is Uh, all done by people who are passionate about this message. But, you know, these days we know that that's the right thing to do.
3: Right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. And I would love to say, I mean, also, of course, like having a film like this that, you know, focusing on um, a Muslim woman as, as the principal character, I think it it just also opens up political films are and have been very male-dominated. Yeah. when And when they haven't been... It's not like there's been a lot of women. There's been, you know, like one woman. Like, you think of... You look at The Contender and it's Joan Allen and then Christian Slater, Gary Oldman, Jeff Bridges. And I can't... Off the top of my head, can't think of another woman who's in that movie, but I can easily think of of three men. So... Mm -hmm. Um, you know, even, uh, a TV show like Madam Secretary, right. Commander in chief, deep uh, impacts, Gina Yep. Deep impacts Taylor Exactly. Um, <laughs> so you uh, looked at oh, me also, for a second, like I would, like
0: it wasn't her and I was like, Oh no, did I just mix her up with somebody?
3: <laughs> no, I don't know what I thought you were going to say or where, I don't know where that was going, but yeah. Um, do you have anything, like, did you have anything in mind? Well, the only that- thing
0: I was thinking would be to to do a remake that is still set in the 70s, you know, keeping it authentic to the original, you know, uh, some, something close to Rod Serling's script, but maybe adapt it a little bit to address some of the sensibilities of, you know, modern politics, although it would still be set in the 70s. Um, I... I thought that it would be something that, you know, if it if it is properly treated like a theatrical movie, then maybe there could be it could go a little bit deeper into, I don't know, certain things and maybe back off some other things. Uh, expand the character of Wanda a little bit. I thought that she was fascinating. I loved her uh, and her kind of. I don't know. Back and forths with Kay Eaton were just so juicy, and I just wanted some more of that. Mm. Um, I was thinking that for the the president role, uh, reprising his role as president from White House Down, <laughs> be Jamie Foxx. I uh, I think that he would. He's just so awesome, and I don't care that he's already been a president before. Um, I think he'd be the right person for this type of thing. You're, you're looking at me like you want to say something.
3: Oh no, you know what I was just I was looking at about like you know what what else that the book might go into. There mm-hmm. is an impeachment trial oh. of President Dillman. Oh boy. In the novel. So, yeah, yeah I'm I'm interested in
0: and checking and that just out. real quick, I was thinking that uh, a good director for it. and I don't know if this is just because this person happens to be on my mind lately, but uh Steve McQueen, I think it'd be an awesome director for it. Oh.
3: Oh, that would be, I'd be really interested to see Steve McQueen yeah. do like a political drama. That yeah. That would be fascinating. Um, And you know what, uh, before we, go, I I forgot this at, at the beginning, but as as we know, we are, we're celebrating black excellence. Yeah. And, and I do have, I do have trivia. Okay. I do have some, a Jeopardy, a Jeopardy for you. And, uh, just as, as a reminder to anyone who didn't hear our last episode, we, uh, we spoke briefly about Melvin Van Peebles and sure. his remarkable film, Watermelon Man. Um, so another, I'm going to, I'm going to give you the question. Let's see, let's see how you do. And then maybe if you need a hint, I'll, I'll give you, I'll give you a okay. Hint. But this is, it, 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 ...comes up as as we're talking about... um, ...as we're talking about um, filmmakers. This director... Okay. um, ...also was an actor who appeared in one of, the, one of the only three films to sweep the five major categories at the Academy Awards. Best Director, Best Picture, Best Actor, Best Actress, and Best Screenplay, either Adapted or Original. So before becoming a director, they uh, acted and appeared in one of those three movies. Ooh,
0: that's tough, Jeez, swept the Oscars, acted,
3: swept the Oscars as a director? No, was just in, no. so this director, person currently working as, you know, primarily as, as a director, who, before becoming a director, was an actor, and one, probably their biggest credit is one of the only three movies in history to sweep the five major categories at the Academy Awards. I know it's a long-winded question. I know that one of them was
0: One for over the Cuckoo's Nest. Um, Just thinking about movies that swept the Oscars...
3: Um... Also, remember we're celebrating Black excellence.
0: I I know, I know. So yeah, Jeez. um, that's oh my god, that's tough. I want to say, did Network sweep the Oscars? No, nope. I think Network was one of them.
3: Nope. Um, Network, I think, was the same year as as Cuckoo's Nest, or was it the year after? Might have been the year after. It was the when year Rocky after. Won. Yeah. Um so there are three hmm. movies in history. One of those movies was It Happened It Happened One Night. It Happened One Night, okay? Which is like in the 30s.
0: Right. So less likely to be what you're talking about. <laughs> I don't know.
3: I give up. So the movie the the movie that swept the Oscars, the uh the third and most recent movie to sweep all five categories, celebrating its thirtieth anniversary, released thirty years ago this month, nineteen ninety one's best picture Oscar winner, Silence of the Lambs. Oh, okay. And the cast member I'm thinking of um is. Cassie Lemons, who played uh, Clarice's roommate at Quantico, oh. and has since gone on to direct the uh, Academy Award-nominated uh, *Harriet*, the Harriet Tubman uh, mm, biography, right. and a movie that a movie that I discovered. Um, well, I wouldn't say I discovered it, but um, a smaller it came film, to your attention. Came to my attention, and I was really into in college, uh, called Eve's Bayou. Eve's Bayou, okay. Eve's Bayou, which is fantastic, like mystery thriller. It's got Samuel L. Jackson, Lynn Whitfield, mm-hmm. and uh, but Cassie Lemons. She, so she also appeared in. Uh, she was in the Five Heartbeats. Uh, oh, you know, a cool. lot of a a lot of that's uh, the Robert Townsend um, one, right? Yeah. Robert Townsend. Yeah. Uh, she was in uh, Spike Lee's School Days. Uh, she was in Candyman. Uh, she was in Hard Target. You might remember mm. her in John Woo's Hard Target. Um, but in uh, it looks like in the like, you know, mid to late 90s, she is she's done some acting since then, but has been primarily a uh, a director and uh Quite good one. She directed a couple of episodes of the uh, C.J. Ma- self-made, inspired by the life of Madam C.J. Walker. Okay. On on Netflix, um, directed uh, some episodes of or an episode of Luke Cage. Oh, she also directed mm. the Caveman's Valentine, uh, also starring Samuel L. Jackson, and oh, cool. 2007's Talk to Me, starring okay. Don Cheadle. All right, love Don Cheadle. So, yeah, Cassie Lemons, uh, hell of a talent. Look forward to seeing a lot more work from her. Yeah. Now, Dan, uh,
0: there's a segment that I, I started in one episode a few weeks ago and then have forgotten to follow up on. Uh, but I'm going to bring it back this time and see if uh, there are any horses or boats that share a name with the movie of the week, The Man. So, Dan, I ask you, uh, is the man the name of a horse, a boat, or both? I'm going to go with both. Okay, you would be correct. There is one registered boat or ship, I don't know uh, what exactly makes the difference, uh, called The Man, and it is uh, a 23-foot recreational uh, boat built in 1997, and Dan uh do you want to guess how many horses there are named the man?
3: 12. <sighs> 6. Oh. Yeah. So uh mm. I was we have some double. in here Sorry. born in uh in 2001, 99, 1950,
0: 2001, 2006 and one Irish Tinker horse who has no uh further information. So There you go. But uh, let me tell you a little bit about the earliest one, uh, the one from 1950, uh, that was born. uh, It's Quarter Horse, uh, Father Pacos, and Mother Peggy Long. Uh, Let's see, we've got some family members named uh, Dunny Boy, uh, Ace Mare, Ben Hur, if we're going with uh, movies. And uh, yeah, just thought you'd like to know a little bit of information about a horse
3: named the man. I'm imagining one of these horse family reunions, and it's like, <laughs> oh, hey, cousin mama's lucky day. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Is that you, Yellow Jacket? Yeah. <laughs> That's right.
0: Uh, so, anyways, spasmataz. There, spasmataz. Uh, <laughs> I'm actually curious to see if there are any boats that are named Air Force One. Or if that is frowned upon.
3: Oh, yeah. I wonder. (laughs) You probably can't do that, but maybe you can. I wonder if you can like play around with it a little bit. Let's see. Air Force One.
0: We have two boats called Air Force One. Wow. One of them was just built last year. A passenger boat. Interesting. Get off my boat. Uh, it's a 31 foot wow there's a lot of information on this one interesting it can uh, it is 13 gross tons uh, okay interesting <laughs> interesting vessel call sign WDL 8686 just so everybody knows Air Force One the boat um, so anyway
3: nobody cares there's that information <laughs> I wish it was actually called Air Force One colon The Boat. (laughs) The Boat. Uh, And just because I'm curious, I'm going to look
0: up and see about horses named Air Force One. Um, I'm not even going to bother looking for any called Dave. Um, Yeah, we have, (laughs) let's see, one, two, three. We have 13 horses named Air Force One dating back to, let's see, 1970. Yeah, 1970. So, uh, just a little bit of information about Air Force One. Um, born to Dawson's Cora and Air Freight. Uh, rel- such notable relatives as Ann Wilson's daughter, Wimpy, Wimpy Two, Dawson's Daisy, and of course, Jean Ann Blair.
3: <laughs> Wait, is there a horse named Ann Wilson's daughter? There is a horse named Anne Wilson's daughter, and is it owned by Anne Wilson of Heart? So this one, uh,
0: well, the original Anne Wilson horse uh, is was born in 1927. So the original Anne Wilson,
3: but not Anne Wilson of Heart.
0: I I can't I can't imagine um, Ooh, Barracuda
3: yeah. <laughs> Heart Seattle owns. Hearts, awesome. yeah, that's right. God, so yeah. Dan, right. anything
0: else you want to talk about with the man, or horses, or boats, or anything like that?
3: No, just uh, I'm I'm glad that uh, to have watched the man. It's a yeah. really interesting. It's a really interesting movie, and like you know, definitely more interesting to look at, especially with the hindsight of history. And sure, um, yeah. But I'm ready. We can we can reveal what we're gonna talk about next time.
0: Sure. All I'm just gonna say is that, you know, I do encourage people to check this out. It's on YouTube, it's free, it's ninety minutes. Uh maybe drink a cup of coffee first because there are parts that get a little slow. But ultimately it's a it's a good watch. It's it's a good watch.
3: Yeah. And I mean like if you watch it on like a phone or a tablet or something, the quality won't be that bad. Yeah. So. You know, don't project this on your on your hundred inch screen. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So for our our next and I guess uh, final episode of our our presidential movie month. Yeah. We we honor the very first. Another. Yeah. Another Gabriel. Not the Czechies Gabriel. No, different Gabriel. This one is Gabriel Over the White. And actually, I don't, there's not even, I don't think a character named Gabriel, but uh, we've got Gabriel Over the White House starring Walter Houston as President Judd Hammond, the very first fictional president on film, at least according to the internet. And yeah. Uh, yeah. Wasn't uh, wasn't Gabriel Over the White House the original title
0: for Live Free or Die Hard? Oh. <laughs>
3: Gabriel hacking the White House. Yes. <laughs> okay. For those well, of you Dan, who live for your diehard fans, you know what we're talking about. Yeah. And and Dan, shout out and, Timothy Oliphant.
0: Oh my God! All day, every day. Buy our uh, Oliphant shirt on uh, tpublic dot All that information's in the uh, the episode description. Um,
3: that's and hey, where you can see all of our social media stuff and everything. And you can email us, let us know what yeah. what you're thinking at ruinedchildhoodspod at gmail.com. Yep. Links to everything are going to be in the episode description.
0: Uh, and Dan, as you are running for president, I wish you a good journey. Good journey.